All right, guys, welcome back to the Buck Fever podcast. We've got a good one for you today. Jake and I have the pleasure of speaking with the director of the Mercury National Walleye Weekend Tournament, Ken Krieger. So, Ken, how are you doing this evening? Pretty good, guys. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, it's great to have you on here. So, um, I guess, first of all, how about we just kind of, if you can give us a brief little overview about the event. Oh, this is our 45th year of the Merck Marine National Walleye Tournament. It's been held in Fond du Lac for 45 years. And uh, this year we've got 287 teams signed up, and the field is locked, and we're ready to go. Holy cow, you said 217? 287. 287. Wow, so is that 287 boats or people? Uh, Boats, that's teams. Teams of two... 287 boats holy cow that's a whole lot of people that are going to be fishing but it's uh it's a plenty big enough lake so i don't think they're going to have too much trouble finding open water but um is that like a typical number would you say or is that higher end um since covid we've been building back up a little bit we dropped down to something in the two low 270s during 2020 and uh back in the day well say 15 years ago we always maxed out around 300 teams so uh we're starting to build uh build back up towards that 300 count now yeah that's good to hear it sounds like it's kind of getting getting back up there a little bit um what are some of the prizes of this event well first place is a boat motor and trailer it's a lung with uh, two mercuries on it and a trailer and we also throw uh, $4,000 in cash to pay for the taxes on that boat, motor, and trailer. Wow. Jake. And second, second, second place is $10,000, and we pay all the way down to 80th place. Jake, why aren't we in this thing, buddy? Well, uh, I don't know how to really catch fish. So. <laughs> well, you can learn. Right. I think we should start learning. I agree. No, that's awesome though. That that's so. In comparison to other tournaments that are in the state, is this like the biggest or one of the biggest? Well, to find biggest, I guess we don't pay out as much as what they do in Oshkosh at the Battle on Bago, uh, but this is a single corporation being Mercury that funds this tournament, and it's their way of saying thank you to the community of Fond du Lac and the fishermen you know, are all 95% local. So it's just their way of, of helping out the community and saying thank you to their workers that fish it and, and all the local sportsmen that, you know, are part of it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So as far as eligibility goes, is it like anybody can sign up? Yes. Uh, the only requirements we have is that both motors that are on the back of your boat are Mercury's. Oh, I didn't know that. That's that's pretty cool. Yep. They, back in the '90s, uh, they changed the rule. They used to let you know Johnsons and Evan Roods and everybody else in it, and then somebody kind of brought up the notion that you know this is the Mercury Marine National Walleye Tournament, and you've got other boat manufacturer or motor manufacturers in it. So then they changed the rules, and then has to be all Mercury powered boats now. I like that. Is, is there any other? Yeah tournaments that do a similar thing that you know of 
No, uh, Battle on Bagel and Oshkosh, uh, they allow all uh, motor manufacturers in their tournament because they're not necessarily sponsored by just one company like we are. Um, they have a lot of sponsors, and I don't know if they have, you know, Ad Avenue when they're around or Yamaha or Honda. I don't know if they're sponsoring them or not, but they allow all those motor manufacturers into the tournament. Gotcha. Oh, that's a pretty cool little detail. So you have upwards of 300 boats. How do you guys get everybody out there in the mornings, and how do you, where do you put everybody? I mean, do you all launch from the same launch, or is there multiple different launch points? Because I know you all weigh in at the same spot. Well, fishermen can launch anywhere they want. We suggest that they either launch at the big hole by the lighthouse or in the park at the train boat launch or at Supley's Marsh. And they have to have their boats inspected each morning and they get a paint stick that we paint different colors every year that they have to show a check-in boat, I should say a check-out boat in the morning when they go out, um, they have to show the paint stick that they were inspected, the live holes were checked, they checked for life jackets and kill switches on the big motor. And they start leaving at 6.30 in the morning. There's two lines out in the lake, and we check each boat out in numerical order through those two lines. One line will have boats 1 through 150. The other line has boats 151 through this year it'll be 287. And they all just start going out about every 5 to 10 seconds, and we check them for that paint stick, check off their boat numbers so that we know that they went out and they can go out fishing. Sounds like a pretty good system. Uh, well, it's been 45 years in the making, so there's been a lot of tweaks throughout the years and improvements. Right. So do, does the boat just get assigned a number, or is your number assigned to sign up? Is that how it goes, or you randomly just assign one through 287? Good question, because I get a lot of phone calls on this one. When guys sign up, they expect to be getting a number right away, and it doesn't work that way. Um, because of the the way that we go out and we come back in in four different flights, the flights are 2, 2.30, and 3.30 for coming back. So what we do is on Sunday, we flip the field. The high number boats go out first, and the low number boats end up going out last. What this does is it splits up the times that they come back on each day, so everybody gets the same amount of time on the water. Right. That's kind of what I was thinking. But yeah. I didn't know how how they dished all those numbers or if you were signed yeah. up right it's, away. Oh, it's it's uh when once we either hit three hundred boats or if we get uh to the end of our registration, which this year was Saturday night at midnight, when we get to the end of that registration time then we put everybody's name into the computer system that scrambles them, and the boat numbers are given out randomly. Okay. So it doesn't matter when you register, if it's in March when we first open it up or if it's in the end of April or May, you're all thrown into the same computer system and the numbers are scrambled, and then you're just assigned randomly what your number is. Gotcha. Yeah, it sounds like that's a good way to do it and keep everything fair. Um, so you mentioned yep. that 
you've been going for 45 years now. Um, so obviously the tournament started 45 years ago. Do you know how that all came to be? Yep. A couple of my understanding was, is that, uh, two guys sitting at Mercury one day at lunch in the lunchroom said, we should have a fishing tournament. And they went to somebody in the marketing department and they agreed and they started putting together these, some of the rules and ideas for how to do it. And then uh, it's 1978 is when the, the tournament started. And now here we are. And now here we are. That's uh, that's about how we started doing all this. We kind of were like, hey, we should maybe start a YouTube channel and start doing some of this stuff. And then, <laughs> like you said, it just kind of went from there. And no, that's that's cool. I, I didn't know if it was more of like a, you know, a, a, maybe times were tough and they were looking for a new way to sponsor Mercury or something like that. But just a couple of guys over lunch chatting and coming up with ideas. I, I like that. Um, so yeah. how did it, at, at the start then, numbers-wise, how has it grown over the years? I'm not sure because I was pretty young back in the 70s. Um, I was fishing the kids' tournament on Alvin Island at that time. Um, I, I don't think they had more than like 100 boats the first few years, um, but I don't know that for sure. It's just kind of from some of the stories I've heard about how they did it. And You know, back in those days, if you had a 60 horse on a 16-foot boat, you were not dog at that time you know a lot of guys had 12 and 14 footers and i've seen pictures of some of the first Merck national tournaments there was even canoes in it there's people paddling out of the the channels in the park on a canoe to go out fishing huh yeah that's man that that must have been something i kind of wish that i could have seen that in some ways but so how did you end up becoming the tournament director wrong place at the right time something like that (laughs) (laughs) i used i used to fish the tournament uh for all of the 90s and my partner and i actually did quite well and he moved away to watoma steve sturgill is his name he's still around fond du lac quite a bit he actually works on the roof at mercury almost every day but uh he moved to watoma he had the boat and I was starting to have my family started. So uh, the first year I didn't fish it, I went out there to watch the tournament. And one of the guys that was a Lighthouse English Fishing Club member said, hey, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just out here watching. And he goes, why don't you jump back here and help us out? So I said, sure. So I started helping out uh, the Lighthouse Anglers, and then I joined their club. And I kind of uh, worked a little bit in each different job and aspect of the tournament. And a couple of the past tournament directors noticed me and say, hey, you got kind of a knack with people and you got a understanding of what's going on. Maybe someday you could take this over. And I didn't really take them serious at that time, but one thing led to another and here I am. I've been tournament director now for about 10 years. So how much of an undertaking is it to be the the tournament director? I imagine your work in the process maybe is never-ending, but I'm sure it gets really, really busy probably a month or maybe more even in advance, right? Well, I work for Michelle Kilburn. She's the senior manager of Freshwater Promotions at Mercury, and her and I start having meetings about Christmas time. Wow. 
and sometimes we go a couple of weeks sometimes we go three weeks or once a week um throughout you know those five or six months leading up to this where we go over things and we kind of decide you know when the next meeting is based on how much we talked this meeting and what we came up with and uh, we're always looking to improve things so that's why we talk so much um I listen to every fisherman and I talk to different people that I see, you know, like when I'm out sturgeon sphere and whatever, and, and we're talking about the tournament and they say, Hey, I got this idea. So my head is working on this 12 months out of the year. I'm, I'm one that doesn't turn off well. So I'm always, always thinking and looking at doing anything we can to improve it and make it better. So what's a, what's a day like? I mean, you, you got the, however many hours they fish, they come in for weigh-ins. How many, how many fish can you uh, bring into weigh-ins? And I mean, I've, I've seen it briefly where they all come up on the stage, they announce everything. And I mean, you guys got a pretty slick system to keep it going and keep the fish and healthier. Do you, do you throw them back or do you guys keep them all or how does that all work? Well, the DNR, Permits for tournaments on Lake Winnebago require us to tell the fishermen that they can only weigh five fish by tournament rule. So they have to decide what they're keeping and what they're not. State laws are also followed for tournaments. So state law says each individual can have three fish and only three fish. So when one team member catches his third fish and puts it in the live well, he's done fishing has to take his lines out the other guy can continue fishing to get his limit so hopefully as their day goes each guy's catching you know one and the other guy catches one and then they both have two and then one of them catches their third and he's done fishing and this is a catch and release tournament so we work very hard the lighthouse anglers fishing club has been involved with this for all, all 45 years and they work very hard at trying to keep every one of these fish alive and we release as many as we can and they do a very good job of it they're actually uh i've been called by different tournament people around the country and, and asked how do you guys do this and how well does it work for you and what have you learned what have your mistakes been so we work with a lot of different people and work with all the lake winnebago fish biologists every year and get ideas from them and help from them and always looking to to get as many fish back into the lake as we can can we dive yeah, into I mean, that a little bit i mean like you know what are what are some of those keys that make it work out to where you can release so many fish well the biggest factor is is how hot is the lake water if the lake water is above 75 degrees the fish stress out pretty easily if the water is rough and those fish are in a live well a lot longer, they get banged around, they get stressed out. If the guys go out and catch three of their fish by 7 or 7.30 in the morning and they don't catch their six fish till 2 o'clock and they got to be in at 2.30, those first three fish are in that live well all day long. So it's really up to the fishermen, and a lot of them are really good at it, to keep them fish alive by keeping fresh water flowing on them fish all the time, try to keep the water as cool as they can. Um, what we do is uh, we get very 
I guess they'd call it special water, but it's untreated water that's in a well outside of Fond du Lac. The city of Fond du Lac is very good to us, and they have a 2,500-gallon tank that they fill up with fresh water, bring it to us on an island the day before, and it gets a chance to warm up a little bit, which it doesn't do a whole lot because that's a very large volume of water. But we try to keep the water about 5 degrees different or within five degrees of what the lake temperature is. So some years when we have water that's in the upper 80s for temperature in the lake, we'll actually blend some of the lake water that we'll go out and retrieve with the boats, bring it in and we'll blend that water with the well water that we get from the city to try to warm it up just a little bit. But we work uh, very closely with the fish biologists in years past, and, and they're the ones that have given us these numbers of, uh, you know, what to do with the water. I mean, it seems like you guys uh, got a pretty well, pretty well-oiled system there. I mean, bolts probably are hopping out for, what, a minute, two minutes at top stern lanes on their back end and on their way out, because, I mean, you guys got tons of bolts coming and going. Yep, well, each flight of 75 has to be in 30 minutes apart. So from 2 to 2.30, we try to weigh 75 boats from 2.30 to 3, and then another flight at 3, and the last flight is at 3.30. We try to get it all done each flight in 30 minutes. So, yeah, we're moving we're moving boats through the system. Those fish come out of the boat. They go in an inspection tank. We make sure there's no sandpike or saugers in the tank, that they're all walleyes. We make sure they're all 15 inches. We make sure that there's no alterations to any of the fish of any kind. And then uh, they get put in a basket. They go in another tank while they wait to go on stage, which usually doesn't take more than a minute or two. And they're on stage getting weighed, and then they're put in a very specialized uh, release boats that come from the Walleye Federation. That was my next question. Uh, are you guys, like, wait until the end of the day till all flights come in to go release them, or are you – kind of do an extra flight to take a boat out type of thing? We have, uh, Walleye Federation comes with two homemade pontoon boats that are really impressive and they're worth coming out just to see these. The one has a 1,700-gallon tank. The other one has a 1,400-gallon tank of water on it. They have water pumps that circulate the water and they have oxygen tanks that add oxygen to the water. Boats can hold... I want to say like 600 walleyes at a time, although we don't push that number or try to get to that number. What we do is we send one boat out with a load of fish, and then we start loading up the second boat. When that first boat's coming back in through the channels, second boat that's loading up, then he starts to go out. So they're constantly flip-flopping. We always have one boat getting loaded, one boat going out and emptying. And when they take these boats out to the lake, they have a big tank bottom that opens up and dumps all that water and all those fish out in like 30 seconds. So all the f- fish are flushed right back into the lake as quickly as possible. They're held as little amount of time as we can so that they're not stressed and get them back out into the lake, into their natural water, natural habitat, and keep stress levels down. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty, pretty sweet rig. Really- 
So if there is a few that don't make it through or aren't in good shape, what do you guys do with those? Well, Lighthouse Anglers uh, over the years have acquired a lot of equipment to clean them. And uh, the fish go to St. Paul's Cathedral. And then the Lighthouse Anglers also take um, special needs people from Fond du Lac out on different fishing trips or excursions uh, to ponds and some times on the lake. And then we'll have a fish fry with those people at the end of that day also. But 90% of the fish all go to St. Paul's Cathedral to the uh, Broken Bread program. Wow, that's that's pretty nice of you guys. That sounds like a good cause. Yeah, it is. I've been there when they've given them out, and uh, I didn't realize how many needy people we had in Fond du Lac, but there's an awful lot of them. And, and I've seen moms and dads and even kids crying that they're getting some fish or that they're getting meat because they can go weeks sometimes and they don't get any meat uh, to eat. Their only source of protein is beans and, and peanut butter. So this is a great thing, and a lot of them look forward to walleye weekend so that they can get some fish to eat. Yeah, I bet. I mean, that's that's awesome. Yeah, that is a great thing. You know, it's you obviously want to try and protect as many fish as you can and, and keep them alive, but there's just no way you can have a hundred percent success rate on that. So the the next best thing, obviously, then is to clean them up and and give them to people who are going to put them to good use. Um, yep. How many people attend the weigh-in, like as spectators? There's been some years where if you're familiar with oven island at the park all of the blacktop and to the area east and west of the blacktop is full and we we don't take a picture and count would be the only way to do it but we're guessing there's 2,500 to 3,000 people there on a on a good year yeah it's so it's 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 a lot of people <laughs> it's an event there's a lot of people who like to see the way and obviously support people who they know and and see what kind of bags people are going to be bringing in right um so that kind of yeah, goes... if you think of it you know if you think of it there's uh like this year there's 574 people fishing the tournament each one has a girlfriend a wife two or three kids and they all come out to see grandpa or their dad or their brother or their cousin or whoever they all come with a little bit of a entourage of their own people. So, um, you know, if you multiply out, you know, it's almost 600 fishermen times two people coming and visiting each one. It, it's, uh, it's a big number of people. Yeah, for sure. And, and I know it's surrounded by a, a whole, um, you know, weekend of events and, and things. So um, it kind of, it lines up with, the, the tournament itself lines up with walleye weekend, correct? Yep. The tournament started out, um, just the tournament. Somebody's decided in a year or two, uh, into it that they were going to have brats and burgers out there. And of course beer comes with that and soda. And then all of a sudden final like festivals came along and started building everything around it. Now we have strongman competitions, volleyball, softball games, three-on-three basketball. Then the bands came, and now we have three stages with different bands on each stage all day long. I think they started like 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, Saturday night, they have a big headliner that shows up, and that one goes to like 11 at night. So it's, it's just built all around the fishing tournament, which was the first thing there. 
Yeah. So do you have any estimates on how many people on average attend the whole like walleye weekend every year? I used to hear some numbers. They talked, you know, a few years there was, they figured 80,000 people attended Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, I heard one year they they were estimating a hundred thousand people showed up. So, but I don't know. I, I, they don't count. There's no admission. It's free to get in. The whole park is open. It's all free to walk around and you can watch all the events going on for, for free. So it's, it's really hard to say, I guess. That's the estimates that I've heard. Yeah, that's that's kind of an unreal turnout there, I, and it probably goes without saying that that this weekend would have quite a big impact on some of the local businesses. Yeah, no doubt. Um, a lot of the fishermen, you know, they're locals, I guess to call them, but they're not, you know. Um, going to drive back to Green Bay on Saturday night after fishing. They're going to stay in the motels. Um, big boats, big motors burn a lot of gas, and everybody always needs to eat. So the restaurants are all getting a lot of business out of it too. Yeah, and so as far as like for businesses to sponsor things, they Mercury is the only sponsor of the fishing tournament, but there's plenty of businesses that can sponsor things at Walleye Weekend, right? Correct. Yes, there's everything. Any of the other events can be sponsored by uh, different businesses. I know Holiday Automotive is big into it, and uh, Mercury Marine obviously donates to other parts of the festivities too besides just the fishing tournament. Um, not sure who the other ones are at the moment. I can't remember. <laughs> well, and I know like some of the food tents too, like the North Fond du Lac School District will usually have a, a food tent. You can go and you know they'll have everything there. Um, you can hang out, that sort of thing. So I know it's a, a big fundraiser for a lot of businesses and organizations and school districts and, and all that stuff in the area. Yep. The Kiwanas and Lions Club, um, they're all there. The fire departments are all there, too, from around the area. They all have their own concession stands set up. and It's a good time. I wish uh, Sometimes I wish I wasn't doing this so I could take in the rest of the stuff but i'm usually busy figuring something out during the day on saturday and sunday i'm kind of stuck into my my tent in the back behind the stage yeah yeah i know it's uh it's definitely a a good time you know we we usually go most years and um like we said we've never fished in it before but just attending the weekend and seeing all that stuff going on and enjoying the food and watching the band all that stuff um so i mean is there anything you can pinpoint that you would say that makes this tournament special beyond maybe some of the other ones that are going on? Is it the, the combination of the fishing tournament with the, all the other stuff? It definitely is. Um, the combo of everything, the festivities, the excitement around it, the people watching the way in. Um, the biggest thing that I know for the fishermen it's not the prize they want they get a nice wood plaque for winning this besides the boat motor trailer and the cash prize they get this wood plaque that says you're number one in the Merck national a lot of tournament fishermen over the years that have won this have used this as a catapult to go pro keith cabias gary parsons to name two of them that were locals that did well and then catapulted into being pro fishermen and doing it for a lifetime 
you know, for their living. But I know so many guys that have been fishing this almost for 45 years. Um, they tell me, I don't care what the prize is. I want that wood. I want that plaque that said one year I was better than everybody else at the Merck National. That's the big kick for a lot of these guys is just getting that plaque. So that's why they, they do it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so, I mean, being involved with this as long as you have been, I mean, do you have any, like, highlights that you uh, remember that are, like, up at the top of your list from tournaments or huge weigh-ins and or good, really good fishing <laughs> year, really bad years? Yeah, um, back in the day, Gary Gray and uh, Bill Klotzbucher were pair from Oshkosh that they were the team to beat. They won it a couple of times, maybe three times. I'm not sure. I don't have any of the records of the numbers of that, but uh, they were river rats in Oshkosh. They digged in the river and they won it quite often. Um, that sticks out in my mind. Um, for me personally, uh, I had one year where on Saturday we had one fish that weighed 1.28 pounds. And on Sunday, we went for broke, and we landed on a nice school. And in 45 minutes, we had our fish, and we came in with the third heaviest basket that year, and it was like an 18.7-pound uh, basket. And we ended up uh, uh, winning uh, the comeback award from lowest place to the, the highest advancing team. And we actually cashed a check that year. I think we ended up in something like 40th place. So for me, that that's my big highlight is uh, finish 15th. Another year we finished 16th, and another year we finished 17th. And uh, we did well, so those stick out in my mind. Um, I really like seeing the family members that fish together. There's a lot of brothers and brothers. There's fathers and daughters and fathers and sons and cousins that fish together. And over all these years that I've done it, you see the same faces every year and you end up talking to them and you find out who they are and find out that they're all relatives and they're fishing together. Um, you see those people come through together every year and you know, even if they're cashing a check or not, they don't care. They're just fishing together for two days in the biggest tournament in the area. The one that everybody wants to do well in you see their smiling faces and they're happy that's what keeps me going. That's what charges my battery during the rest of the year is to keep going and try to make this a good tournament. So when you see all these people come in with the smiles on their faces, even when they had a rough day, they're still happy and they still look at you and say, this is really cool. This is the best tournament I ever fished. So. I, I mean, I can't imagine what that's like. I mean, in the tournament director, you probably get tons of, like compliments and everything like that. Do you have any favorite parts from being the tournament director on that side of things when you weren't fishing and being involved more so and just setting everything up? Um, just, yeah, like you said, getting the compliments from the fishermen and the thank yous. Um, that's a lot because there are bad times. There are bad things that happen and there are accidents that happen and broken boats and motor failures and broken hearts from people you know, that have that happen to them. So, uh, but just, just seeing the, the smiles on the faces and getting the compliments from the guys say, Hey, you, you do this right. And, uh, I appreciate it. So that, that's worth a lot to me. Right. Uh, this, this probably every year, obviously, but 
is there like a an average pounds that win it every year i mean if the if the fish are biting like a normal bite type of thing or is it well, very it really varies a lot if but if you watch how the lake population of walleyes is doing according to the fish biologists you know they go out with a trawler several times a day during the course of the year and they met fish and they weigh them they check them and release what they can um if you follow the year classes of fish like right now our year class we don't have many fish over 22 inches in the system um, we had a couple of years of bad hatches now we've got four or five years in a row of really good hatches but those fish aren't matured yet they're not big they're not heavy they're up to 22 inches maybe some three pounders out there um, so the weights really fluctuate a lot depending on how the system is doing. Um, I should mention, too, the feed, it all depends on what those fish have to feed on. Back in the gizzard shad years, when we had a lot of gizzard shad, the fish were plumper, fatter, and happier, you know. So um, I remember I remember years when the weights were in the mid-30s, 34, 36 pounds that it took to win over the two days. This year... Going off of some of the other tournaments I've seen in the last week here, I'm going to predict this year we're going to be maybe 28 to 30, maybe a 31-pound basket to win it. So, still a, still a pretty good number. Yeah, it is. Yep. Yeah, that's so uh, that's uh, you just weighing 10 fish over two days, so it's a three-pound average. Yeah, you got to have a good weekend of fishing to come up with a 30-something bag yeah you do yep <laughs> so uh, as far as walleye weekend goes i know, you know there's a lot of good stuff going on um there's all kinds of food to, to be had there's all kinds of activities stuff for the kids stuff for everybody all kinds of live music um do you you said you don't get to necessarily hang out in too much of that stuff do you at least get to enjoy the band every now and then uh, only what I can hear from the stage. I, <laughs> I usually don't take off from the, the stage area or the weigh-ins area because you never know when a team's coming in. Um, sometimes by 10 o'clock there's a team or two coming in that they have their, what they kept and their limit and they're coming in. And uh, I just need to be there. So if I can hear it, if the wind is blowing right and it's blowing across the park, I'll hear a band, but I don't go over and, and hang out by any of the bandstands ever no i suppose you've got a, a pretty big job there to hold down the fort you can't necessarily go off and do your own thing um you mentioned a, a little bit ago sturgeon spearing it's something we always got to talk about with any of the local people we have on the podcast because <laughs> it's it's such a yep. big thing for everybody um what what is your experience been like with sturgeon spearing on Lake Winnebago? How did you get started and all of that? I can't remember how young I was the first time I went out with my dad, but uh, I was probably five or six years old. Um, my dad went a lot, and I went along with him on the weekends. Obviously, I was in the school during the week, but uh, I started out at a very young age, and I've, I think I've done pretty good spearing. I've, I've steered 14 fish over my life. Um, I live on the lake near Subway Road, so I'm always watching water and ice conditions leading up to spearing, and I'm kind of scouting for 
worms like a lot of guys do now and I'm looking for water clarity um, in the weeks prior. So uh, sturgeon spearing is a big part of my life. What's been the, the most memorable fish that you've gotten out there? Um, boy, I got to pick one out of 14. Well, um, we can go one after the <laughs> other if you want to cover all 14. <laughs> let's, let's talk about uh, my quickest fish. Um, my daughter went along with me. I think it was one of her first years, maybe her second year with me. And we were sitting in the shanty right off Lakeside Park, actually, um, within a half mile of the park. And 11 minutes into the season, here comes a big fish and dropped the spear on it, pulled it out, and it was a spawned out female. She was 79 pounds. Um, so that's my biggest and the quickest. But I've had other ones that are pretty cool, too, and up off of Oshkosh in 20 or 21 feet of water. I had a fish come through about 12 or 14 feet down, and when you throw a spear at one like that, it seems like that spear is going in slow motion towards that fish, and you're watching the rope coil out behind the spear. It's like, oh, no, did I get it or not? And then you see the spear hit it, you know you got it. Um, that one's been pretty cool, too. And I've had a few fish that, in the clear water years, they came into the hole and dropped and laid right on the bottom, right in the middle of my hole, and just sat there and waited for me to spear them. <laughs> so those are pretty cool moments, too. You get Have you, uh, are you the type of guy to pass up some fish, or are you kind of, well, now that you speared a, a good amount of them, do you pass them up, or are you kind of just spearing first legal one? Uh, I think it would really depend on the year. If it's a cloudy year, I don't think I'd pass up much of anything. You know, I'm not going to spear a, you know, 20 pound or anything like that unless I mess up and didn't realize it was that small. But, um, it's, it's exciting getting any size fish, you know, it's only place in the country. Well, there's one lake in, in uh, Michigan, I guess that you can still spear, but they only have a six fish limit. Their season only lasts an hour, so um, it's the only place in the country you can do this and witness it. So it's it's a thrill, you know. Um, put it in perspective, um, my dad died in 1989. He speared up till the year he died. He went 30 years in a row, never saw a fish, never got one. But back in the 70s and early 80s, the water was very cloudy, very dirty. And a lot of times you're sitting there looking in water you can only see three or four feet um after he retired back in those days you could spear from sun up to sundown 16 day long season he went three years in a row sun up to sundown all 16 days and still didn't see one or get one so um, perseverance right there perseverance and desire to get one he kept saying i just gotta get one i gotta get one and it just never happened for him so well i mean with anything whether it's the spearing or fishing or hunting you know that's that's kind of the the mantra of all of us when we're out there is you know you just gotta just gotta have the right one swim by or walk by or whatever you just gotta that's why we keep doing it, because you just never know when that next one is, is going to come by. Yep, that's right. It's all about being at the right place at the right time. Exactly. So besides any of the fishing stuff, um, do, do you have any of the other outdoorsy hobbies? Are you a bow hunter or a deer hunter? 
Yeah, I bow hunt. I gun hunt deer. Um, recently got a Springer Spaniel, uh, my third dog, but the first one that I tried hunting with. And I've absolutely fallen in love with uh, hunting over this dog for pheasants. She took to it very quickly, uh, very easily. I never sent her out for any pro training or anything like that. Never took her to a, a farm where somebody, you know, told, told me how to train it. Um, my son Logan has a dog that's a year older. He started before I did, and his dog took off with it. And my dog took off with it. So pheasant hunting is... Uh, become a little bit more of a more enjoyed sport by me than bow hunting right now and bow hunting used to be pretty high on my list oh that's awesome we we've got a springer spaniel too and i love him to death but he can't he can't smell a pheasant to save his life i don't know what's uh i don't know what's going on with him he can smell food from 10 miles away but pheasants he'll walk right up on them and he, he can't uh-huh. find them but no it's it's yeah. it's great we just love going out there with them and um that's that's one of those two that can always be a good time unfortunately when it does overlap with bow hunting we're kind of pretty dedicated to that we don't really get out there as much as we probably would like to but that's oftentimes an overlooked um an overlooked animal to hunt that can be pretty fun and I don't think it gets talked yep. about often enough. Um, anything else? Turkey hunting? Um, I've been, I have done some turkey hunting. Uh, I have not had any success at it and kind of burnt out on it. And where Wally weekend is coming up in June, turkey season kind of is the uh, time of season where I'm ramping up for Wally weekend and thinking about that stuff and, you know, uh, getting my notes together and, and whatnot. So turkey Turkey hunting's kind of fallen off the list a little bit. Right, I gotcha. So you mentioned your kids a little bit. Uh, have they kind of taken to, um, you know, the outdoors scene and the hunting and fishing and stuff? Oh yeah, very much. My son has always gone with me, and when he was too young to go with me, he would be playing out in the yard that he was bow hunting or gun hunting. He'd get all dressed up and get his toys out and set stuff up in the yard and my daughter loves fishing too she's right next to me sturgeon spearing every year um since that first year that i took her probably 10 years ago or a little more already so she goes along all the time and uh we just got back from a trip to lake erie and my son and nicole is my daughter and the three of us take my boat and we go out there and spend seven days out there fishing the big walleyes that they have out there yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Jake, where are Colby and Eli right now? Are they, no, they're not on Erie. No, they're way up in Canada. They're, I don't they're, know where he's. They're way like 14 up. 14 hours or something like that. Yeah, I think they had taken an Erie trip uh, maybe a little while ago or one of them did. I don't know, but I know that that's a, that's a big one that you should probably try and do at least once in your life. It sounds like a good time. Do you have any um, any experience fishing like in the Green Bay area for walleyes? That I have not, not yet, but that's on the bucket list for this year. So got a couple offers from several guys that fish walleye weekend to go up there with them or follow along, and uh, that's definitely a place I want to go to. I have not been there. I actually, back when I was a teenager, I guess I fished in De Pere um, in the early season in a 14 foot boat that i had back then so i fished there but i have not fished in the bay 
for walleyes. So they go up there in the winter times every now and again and fish with Dale Strohstein for uh, white bass, which I think you guys have done with the school in the past, right? Uh, I know. I, I think Colby's been involved with a lot of that stuff. I don't think Jake or I ever um, got to do any of that. But I, oh, okay. I, I know that that's been – I we, we never were really – on the fishing team that's something i regret there i know my brother got into the fishing team and he got to do that a little bit um but yeah i i kind of was always busy with other sports and never got into that and i should have but um i guess i'm kind of making up for it now a little bit trying to get out there more there you go yeah i, I agree i would have i would have done the fishing team and even i wish i would have shot trap too because it's a pretty, it's a pretty fun sport. I do it now, and I really wish I would have done it in high school. But it's hard to make that all work with other sports. But yeah, they've got a lot of good things out there now for kids in in school, especially in that school district. All the opportunities that they have for, you know, all that outdoor stuff. Like we said, the fishing team, the trap shooting team. Um, it's it's pretty cool to see that. So. Uh, as we kind of wind things down here, we get back a little bit to the the big tournament, uh, Walleye Weekend. As a general, you know, if it's just people listening who, um, you know, attend the tournament, go every year, maybe they've never been there before, is there anything that you wish more people knew about the tournament? Um. Not really, I guess. It's just uh, a fun event. It's made to be fun or tried to be made fun for uh, everybody around the community and for families. And, you know, the fishermen go out. I can't say men or women because there's a lot of women getting into fishing now. And we have a lot of competitive women uh, fishing with family members and husbands and whatnot. Um, And then the rest of the family is out at the park taking in the rest of the festivities all day long, um, playing or watching the games of volleyball and soccer and uh, uh, the three-on-three that they used to have. I don't know if they have that anymore or not, but uh, there's rock climbing walls, there's strongman competition. Like I said before, there's three bands going all the time during the day. Um, There's face painting, there's animal shows, um there's you know just so much variety of stuff that you could easily spend a day out there and wait for your friend or relative to come in and and get weighed in and watch them cross the stage it's a big thrill for a lot of them too there's always cameras going and pictures being taken of that so it's just a cool event to go to good food um sweet corn brats burgers chicken barbecue stuff Lots of drinks going around of all varieties, so just a good time for everybody. Absolutely. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Jake, you were in the three-on-three tournaments quite a bit, right? Uh, I think I did a little bit, but I, when I got older, I was in the volleyball, which was really fun. I mean, I, we talk about that all the time, and we wish we could still play in that because once you're out of high school, you can't, but that, that, that was a lot of fun. So that was what, high school like softball tournament? Yeah, the volleyball, so just softball, co-ed. 
Gotcha. Yeah. I I remember doing the the three on three a little bit. I wonder if they've still got that going anymore, but yeah, there's, there's an abundance of stuff. I mean, like you said, you can easily spend a day out there, spend a weekend out there. There's always going to be something going on. Um, so I think I know what your answer is probably going to be to the next question. We kind of said it, but what is the best way for somebody to support the tournament, to support walleye weekend? If somebody wants to, be a good supporter of it. What's the best thing they could do? Grab a friend or a relative or a neighbor that maybe not be going out there ever and ask them to go along with you and just go out and wander around and take it all in. Absolutely. For sure. Well, is there anything else to, to get at here before we wrap things up? Anything else you want to cover with the, the tournament or the weekend in general? I don't think so. I think we covered it all. Um, I forgot to mention the fish fries that they have out there are walleye, and they have the Kiwanis has a very good walleye sandwich that they sell every year. I forgot to mention them. Um, that, that is worth uh, going out just for that. Um, it's one of the things I always make sure that I try to get and uh, eat is one of the walleye sandwiches during the day. So. I know that's a big a hit. Too. Yep, there's always a long line for that one. Uh-huh. Everybody everybody wants to have that at least once in the weekend. That and the cheese curds from the fire department are phenomenal. I don't know where they get their cheese curds from, but they're like, unlike anything at any of the restaurants in town. <laughs> yeah. That one. Yep, you can't beat it. All right, Ken. Well, we really appreciate you being on here with us this evening. Uh, we're really looking forward to uh, the tournament and keeping up with everything and, and kind of seeing the results of that. Uh, I hope it's going to be a good year for everybody. It sounds like it is. The numbers are coming back up. Um, it should be some good weather, hopefully, maybe a little bit on the warmer end of things, but I guess you'll take that over a, a rainy weekend, I'm sure. Um, yep, so it, anything, anything but thunderstorms. Don't want thunderstorms. They are not good for boats. No, no, for sure. <laughs> you can you can throw on some sunscreen and get a little air conditioning every now and then and brave that. That's a little bit better than lightning. Yep, no doubt. Yeah, well, hopefully it's going to be a good year and it should be quite a few people out there. It sounds like it's going to be a good time. So for anybody listening, you heard it. You heard it from Ken. The best best thing you can do is just to grab some buddies, grab some, grab your family, and uh, head out there. Go enjoy the food, enjoy the band, um, eat some fish, some cheese curds, have some drinks, watch all the boats come in, and just hang out. It should be a, a really good time. And good luck uh, with everything that you've got, um, you know, on your end with uh, being the director. Hopefully, everything runs smoothly for you and. We're just going to be looking forward to it. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Good show. Yeah, us. yeah thanks a lot. And uh, thank you to everybody who stuck with us here. Thank you for listening. Uh, we've got a lot of content that's going to be coming out. I know we've mentioned a few times now that um, Colby and Eli are in Canada right now. They're who knows where they're even at? They've got no cell service. We haven't heard from them, but they're they're going to be having a good time up there catching a lot of fish. So hopefully there's going to be some content to come there. We can get some more fishing stuff out for you guys. So we're, we're going to have a good summer here, and deer season's going to be around the corner before you know it. So stick with us. Thank you guys for listening, 
and we'll see you guys next time.